0: turn to 2 Chronicles 7, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 16 at first, 2 Chronicles 7, and the sermon title, An Awful Big If for My People, if you'll stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be opened and mine ears attend unto the prayers that is made in this place. And now, for now, have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask you to help us with that big if. That, Lord, we will do as you've commanded and do what you said that day. That we would pray that we would cease from sin and that we would cleave to you. Help us to read this passage of scripture today and understand its meaning. And Father, make it a part of our lives on a daily day basis. We pray in your holy name. Amen. In the summer of 1988, uh, it was a great time of drought. Maybe you remember that. I I, do, I certainly do. Uh, we were uh, associated with many farmers at that time and it was a big deal. Many crops failed. There were forest fires. Raged rivers dried up. Many animals perished. Time Magazine called it the big dry. Farmers and concerned citizens got together and began to pray. They began to pray for rain. People anxiously sought out God in a way that they had not done previously because they saw a physical pending disaster. It was clear that something was happening and they wanted help. While many people were immediately concerned about god's help for that crisis because it affected them personally the special prayer gatherings subsided though when the prayer answered with rain so when the rain came people stopped praying i think it's a reminder how we can take god's blessings for granted certainly people should be concerned about natural threats i mean who wouldn't be I'm concerned about tornadoes in Oklahoma. California concerned about earthquakes. There are things that affect us immediately that we cry out to God about. And we shouldn't get away from that. We shouldn't try to not pray about those things. But with additional issues facing our country, maybe we should pray more. Maybe we should pray about immorality or the onslaught of crime, or the potential for nuclear holocaust, or, or maybe the breakup of families, or the ongoing social crises that seem to affect us more and more. The homelessness in America is at a larger rate than it's ever been before, and we don't seem to be able to deal with that. Maybe we should, as citizens of a, this country, be concerned about praying about things like that instead of just those things that affect us immediately you see i think there's a problem the problem at least in the time of the jewish people was that they had pride they had self-sufficiency you look at proverbs 8 verse 13 and you hear these words to fear the lord is to hate evil i hate pride and arrogance god says evil behavior and perverse speech God looks down on us and he judges who we are by what we do and what we say. By what we do and what we say. We forget sometimes that God is in the process of condemning sin already. Though There'll come a time when he'll judge everything, certainly. There'll be the great white throne judgment. But even in this time, we're being judged by what we do and what we say. There, There were intensely proud feelings felt by the nation Israel. They felt so proud that they thought that God would not harm them regardless of what they did. We're the chosen people. God wouldn't do anything to us. But you and I remember that the Bible says pride goes before a fall. And that's exactly what happened to the nation. I think for us as proud Americans, our pride can be misplaced. Our pride should be in those things that honor God, rather in our accomplishments. I mean it's great to, to say, oh pat myself on the back, I, I did something today that was great, or I helped somebody, or I achieved a goal that I was reaching for, or maybe be proud of my children when they reach a standard or develop in some way or, or finally get that award or graduate from something. There's nothing wrong with those moments. But if those moments become idols in our life, if we honor God over those moments, then that's a problem. God brings righteousness and justice. And that ought to be what we're concerned about. Self-sufficiency is a problem. Again, look at Proverbs 28-26. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. When we look at Proverbs, we're reminded of the fact that the nation Israel was confronted on more than one occasion over their pride and self-sufficiency. They thought they could do it by themselves, even individually in the Old Testament. We see examples of great leaders, even Moses, who thought he could do it by himself, not speak to the rock, but strike the rock. None of us are exempt from pride and self-sufficiency we need to look at the problem as it is. The Jews only submitted themselves to God when there was difficulty. Isn't that the way it seems? You, you look at Old Testament, and over and over again, when things were going great and when they had got to a place where they were self-sufficient, they neglected God. They began to worship other idols. They forgot about their promises. And then God would smite them again, and they would remember whose people they were, they were. They continued in regular worship, but the worship was empty, the Bible tells us. It was just empty ritual because they were going through the motions, not really honoring God. God wants our daily dependence on him. You know what he tells us? Take up your cross. What? Daily and follow me. Not just one day a week or occasionally or or, or at Christmas and Easter. It's that God wants our dependency on him every day that we live. He's more interested in obedience than sacrifice, the Bible tells us. That I would obey him and recognize I need him every day. So sin was the problem. That was a problem that faced the nation Israel. The Jews had compromised their status as God's chosen people. And they had done that by worshiping other gods and intermarrying with pagan people. What God told them not to do, they did anyway. We compromise the truth, I think, in America by tolerating sin when we let sin happen and say nothing about it even by participating in activities that we know are displeasing to God you don't think about that look at Isaiah 59 verse 2 the Bible tells us sin is always a barrier between God and his people your sins have cut you off it says it's not that his ear can't hear or his hand can't act the Bible says but our sins have come in between us and God I think for the for the nation Israel, there are three things that we take from the problem that we see today. The first problem is spiritual barrenness. Spiritual barrenness. If you look at verse 13, he says, if I shut up heaven and there is no rain, there is nothing there. You're barren. And I think that's an example of what God is trying to talk to us. When sin is... The first thing in our life, when it's the thing that overshadows everything else, we become spiritually barren. We can't produce. It's not what he wants us to produce. You look at the New Testament, you look at John 15, 5, and we're told he wants us to be fruitful. But when we have a barrier of sin, whatever that sin might be, it might be an attitude, it might be an action, it might be the words we say, it may be the way we treat people. But that sin cuts us off from God, and we become spiritually barren. We cannot produce. We cannot do anything. I think secondly in that idea of the problem of sin is spiritual blindness. You read the words, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, the idea there is they're covered. Have you seen recently the Grasshopper infestation in the United States. I don't know if you've seen it. They're just all over the red, you know, grasshoppery things. They're all over. Yeah, <laughs> crystals going, <laughs> Yeah, that's the way it is. I remember we lived in Crescent one year and it was crickets. Oh my gosh, there were crickets everywhere. Everywhere. We were sweeping them out. We were blowing them out. You know, occasionally things can overshadow and, and take up. I think it's this year they call them the Mormon grasshopper locust thing, is what it is. It happens. But the idea there is that it covers the land and you cannot see anything. That is spiritual blindness. The people became so self-sufficient and they worship their nation's ability. Does that sound familiar? I think it can. I'm proud to be an American. I'm glad I have freedom. But if I let that stand in between me and God, I've made my freedom here as an American an idol. Again, remember the video. There are two kinds of freedom. We're looking for spiritual freedom. I don't know if you know the new passages of Scripture. You may know them. Uh, Romans 13 and Revelations 13, they, they help us understand the way we relate to the government in which we find ourselves, whatever government that is. You look at Revelation 13, and it tells us to be careful of the government we live in. You look at Romans 13, and it talks about that the government is a minister in God's hands. I heard a story about a, a a pastor who was speeding, and he was trying to get to some event, and he got pulled over by the highway patrol. The highway patrol pulled him over, talked to him, and the pastor trying to get out of it, you know, explained, well, uh, it's an important event. I need to go, and, you know, I'm a minister, and, and tried to get out of the ticket, and then the Highway Patrol said, you know, I read in Revelation 13 about that, but I read in Romans 13 that I'm a minister too. Five copies, sign hard. You know, we're not exempt, are we? You look at Revelation 13, and it's a healthy correction to Romans 13. Did you know that Hitler used Romans 13? And not only did he use it, he used it to bolster and then eventually hurt the Baptists that were in Germany in the time. He told them it was God's will that they obey the state. It's right there in the Bible. Look at it, Romans 13. And he then gave them some freedoms that they had not had before. They were looked down upon because they, they they were not part of the Lutheran church. And so Baptists had a freedom for a period of time that they had not had. And some Baptist leaders even supported Hitler because he had a to them, higher moral value than other people that they saw around him. Baptists in Germany learned a difficult lesson, didn't they? The state and other institutions must never become our idols as worthy as they are. The institutions are not the creator. Can I get an amen? America is not God. As great as it is, and as wondrous as we celebrate about the freedom we have, America is not God, especially if you look around today and how we have turned away from the founding fathers' principles of giving God credit and honor and glory for what he did in starting this country. Now we want to strip it off everything we have. We want to chisel off all the in gods we trust everywhere we find it. They would take it off of the Supreme Court if they could. We need to be allegiance-centric to God and to him only. God is the only one whom we owe our ultimate allegiance. Well, that brings us to the third thing, spiritual brokenness. Or if I send pestilence among my people, the people become broken. They can't live. They're, they're sick. And that really is the picture of a, of a spiritual brokenness. We can't seem to do anything at all it's at this point we need revival and I think that's what we need now is revival revival in a country that used to claim God as the creator and the one who gave us the freedoms that we have an alienable rights given by whom? the creator and yet we don't talk about that anymore do we? spiritual brokenness The second thing that we see in this is the people. First we have the problem, then we have the people. If my people, he says, that phrase, if my people, the Israelites were challenged, I think, to set a positive example. If my people will do something, will do something positive. If my people will do something positive and affect a change in the nation, if they'll act in a different way than they're currently acting, if we want to see things change in our nation, We as believers have to play a strategic part. We can't sit by the sidelines. I have some freedom in this country whereby I can vote. I can participate in activities. If I sit by and let other people do it, things will happen that I won't agree with. I need to be involved in the process. I need to stand up and speak for those who may not be willing to stand up and speak for themselves. I need to be a Christian citizen. And lead when others may not want to. I think there are three elements in this as well that are evident in the phrase, if my people. First of all, the distinction. My people. You see that? God calls them, you're my people. We are gods, are we not? We are gods. We're his. We belong to him. We do not own ourselves, the Bible says. We are his, my people. Think about it. Think about them. He had an investment in them. Had he done for them what nobody else had ever done? He invested them. Has God not invested in you? Has Jesus not given you everything so that you can become something else? His investment in them also. His interest in them. God cares about us. God knows what you need. God is involved in your life. You are not alone. He has not spun the world out into creation and left it to be on its own. He is involved with his creation. For God so loved what? The world. He loves this world. He's interested in this world. He was interested in them, and he's interested in us. Thirdly, his intention for them. He had plans. They were his chosen people for a reason to be an example to the nations, to be a lighthouse to the nations, to draw people and give testimony to the one true God, not a God of the plains, not a God of the mountains, not a river God, not a rock God, but the God who created everything. And we should do the same. We, in our testimony, should show the people around us that God has a plan in their life. We see what God did in his distinction. But we also see the description, which are called by my name. The description, they are called by his name. We are called what? Christians, aren't we? We're called by his name. We're an example of him. If we live up to that example, we will live a certain way, or we can't call ourselves Christians. If we do not do what Christ did, then we cannot do, claim the title Christian. There is a description. We are his and we are called by his name. Thirdly, the direction shall humble themselves When God looks at us, he expects something from us, a humbling recognition of who he is. Humbling ourselves before God is absolutely necessary. We cannot come to a saving grace in Jesus Christ until we understand we are sinners and we need God. And we fall before him and say, I need you. I am a sinner. I confess my sin. Here's where I am wrong. Now, I agree with you that what I have done is sin. Now, I seek you. I ask you to help me. We come to him and we humble ourselves. We, we even reach out as an utterly broken people recognizing I can never touch God. He has to reach down to me. And that's what he did. When we could not touch God, Jesus came and lived among us to show himself, to pay the price that we could not pay, to do what we could not do, to rebuild the bridge between God and man that was broken in the Garden of Eden. We come, but we recognize our brokenness. And that's not a bad thing, is it? After all, you have to break the soil to grow, don't you? To plant a seed, you have to break the soil. Broken clouds give rain. Broken grain gives bread. Broken bread gives strength. Things that are broken can have a purpose. God will not despise us if we come before him and say, I need you. Some religions try to tell you you have to go to their God by fixing yourself up, by coming before him and bringing something that's worthy. No, God says, I am alone worthy. You are not worthy. We are righteousness is what is filthy dung before God, the Bible says. So we just come broken as we are and God takes us. And he does not turn us away. He will in no way cast us out. Thirdly, the prayer. The prayer and pray, he says. Praying to God and seeking his faces is, is vital to our faith. It is the way we communicate and the way that he speaks with us. Because many people feel self-sufficient. They do not see their need to be dependent upon God. But that's the purpose for prayer. A story was told of a textile factory many years ago. And, and it had a... Uh, a banner in front of all the machines of the textile workers that were there, and it said this, If your threads get tangled, send for a foreman. If your threads get tangled, send for a foreman. There was a new worker in the textile factory one day, and she came and she began to work, and and she became tired, and when she lost her attention, her strings became tangled. But she tried to fix it on her own, and it became worse and worse and more tangled. And finally, helpless and desperate, she called for the foreman to come and to help her to untangle the strings that she had tangled. When the foreman finally got there, he said, Why didn't you send for me earlier? Well, I did my best. He smiled and he said to her, Remember, doing your best is sending for me. When I look at that story, I think of Jesus doing my best is to fall before the Savior and come before him in prayer and ask him to help me with the tangled threads of my life. I need him to untangle the life that I have messed up, that I have done wrong with. And God will forgive me, he says, and will help me with that. When we pray, I think three things are, are happening in this passage of Scripture as we look at Second Chronicles. When we pray, first of all, pride must be eliminated. We come back to that idea of humbling ourselves. Pride has to be eliminated. Judges 8, 28, Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. We need to let pride be done away with and not think that after something positive happens we no longer need to speak with God we continue to humble ourselves when we pray pride must be eliminated I think also secondly prayer must be established and pray he says if my people humble themselves and pray when you look at that word it's not just once It is an idea of a continuation of prayer, a a beginning of a habitual nature in your life. That I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray. I'm not going to pray just in in the sense of when they tell me to pray in church. Let's stand and pray. Let's kneel and pray. Let's whatever and pray. I'm not going to do it because it's one day a week that I'm supposed to pray. It's a Wednesday prayer meeting. I'll pray on Wednesday. But I'm going to pray habitually because I need God every moment of my life. And so it becomes part and parcel of who I am. I am a praying person. We should be a praying people. Thirdly, purity must be exhibited and seek my face. The idea there is that I'm looking to God to see how I should be. Well, I need to be pure before God, right? God can't look on anything unholy. Remember, even as Jesus was dying on the cross and he had taken all the sin of the world on him, God could not look at him in that moment because he became sin for us. We have to exhibit a purity before God. Our lives have to be that way if things are going to change. Fourthly, pardon must be experienced and turn from their wicked ways have to be willing to turn from that so that I might be pardoned you know that's a difficult thing to do sometimes some people are so caught up habitually in a sin that they seem not to be able to let it go yet God's demanding of us to do that very thing to let go and let him forgive us and give us pardon to forgive ourselves sometimes sometimes that's the hardest forgiveness isn't it? To forget that we have done something and, and assume that God really has forgiven us. Can he really forgive me? I've had people ask me that. Can God really forgive me for what I've done? He says he will. He said he will. I, I'm not just saying you. He, he said if you will confess your sins, I will forgive you. So he can do that if we will accept the forgiveness that he offers us. Genesis 3, 9, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? God knows where you are, like he knew where Adam was. He knew Adam had done wrong. God knows when you've done wrong too. And he offers you pardon in that. We have to turn from our sins. The the Bible says the wicked indulge themselves in sin because it's fun. It doesn't deny that it's not, but it's only for a season, the Bible says only for a period of time, only for a short time, not forever. We deceive ourselves with sin's pleasure if we're not careful because they do not last, never lasts. God's people must be different. Uh, Unless his people are willing to turn away from sin and turn back to him, God will withhold his blessings. Again, go back to Isaiah 58, 59. Look at those passages of Scripture and, and uh, acquaint yourself with what it says about God not blessing as long as we sin. We forget those passages. We act as though they're not there in the Bible. God will withhold his blessings if we're not careful. But notice the results. If God's people will humble themselves, if God's people will pray, if God's people will seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then there is the promise. God promises to hear from heaven he promises to forgive their sin and our sin as he promised to heal their land God will bring healing to our nation to our community to our church God wants to bring healing to our families and he wants to bring healing to you individually Now, remember, we're talking about a spiritual healing here. He's not talking about physical healing as he talks in this passage of Scripture. It's about a spiritual presence that we're talking, the the sense that now we were going to have peace because we've been forgiven for all that we have done. The burden is no longer on us. We, We don't have to wrestle with that fear of being caught because God's already caught us. We just need to accept it and ask for his forgiveness and turn from that. It's a big if, isn't it? It's an awful big if. If, my people, if we're willing to actually do that, then he's willing to forgive us. The windows of heaven are waiting to be opened on you. I want you to envision that, if you will, for a minute. Uh, A window, and if that window opens, blessings would pour out upon you. You are the one that is keeping that window shut, not God. God wants to pour out blessings on us. But if we we are not willing to do the things he asks, then those blessings remain shut up in heaven. We sing that song, showers of blessings. Showers of blessings can come if we will do what he says in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at some things about the promise. First of all, it is of divine visitation. Then will I hear... God will hear and see and act. Now, that action might be judgment or it might be revival. God may judge us if we do not act, but it will be revival if we do act. He will change us. He will revive us. He will fill us again and give us what we need. I think not only is it of divine visitation, but it's also of divine absolution. To be absolved of something means to be forgiven of something. God says, I will forgive their sins. I forgive their sins. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus. When you come to accept him as Savior and Lord, your sins are forgiven. That idea that I could be forgiven of anything is mind-blowing, isn't it? Anything that you have done, God can forgive if you come to him. In brokenness, in sincerity. Absolution is what God offers you. Also, there is divine restoration. I will heal their land. God will put you back together. God, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, knows everything about you. He knows every gene that you have, He knows your DNA. He designed your DNA. God can knit you back together. God can fix you when you have broken yourself. When you have taken yourself down the wrong way, the wrong alley, the wrong path, the wrong choice, God can restore you and set you on solid ground and give you the peace, the Bible says, that passes understanding. In conclusion, Dodi Gadiant was a schoolteacher. She had taught students about the United States. She had done it for years. She decided to travel across the United States and actually see it. She had never done that before. She had taught from the history books. She had taught from the geography books. She had taught students everything about America, but she had never seen America, and so she decided to see America for herself. Traveling alone in a truck and a camper, she traveled across the United States Once, near Sacramento, on the I-5, near rush hour traffic, her water pump went out on the truck, and she had to pull over to the side of the road. She was tired, she was exasperated, she was scared, and she was alone, and she was causing a traffic jam. You've seen them. Here's this truck by the side of the road with a big camper, and everybody's trying to get around her, and and, you know how people are in that sense, and nobody was willing to stop. Nobody was going to help her, it seemed. Leaning against the truck and trailer, she prayed, God, please send me an angel, preferably one with mechanical experience. Four minutes later, a huge Harley drove up behind her truck and trailer. An enormous man, sprouting long, black, greasy hair with a bandana and tattoos everywhere you could see, got off and with an incredible air of confidence started to look at her vehicle. He flagged down another truck, and they were the tow chain, towed it off the highway to a side road, and there he continued to fix her car. He started, and he finished the work. Dumbfounded, she began to talk to him. She began to, to thank him for what he had done, especially, you know, she was paralyzed when she saw over and over again on the back of his jacket, his leather jacket, hell's angels, <laughs> She was scared. And she finally just squeaked out, thank you so much. Noticing her surprise in the ordeal, the hell's angel said, don't judge a book by its cover. You may not know who you're talking to. And with that, he hopped back on his motorcycle and drove away as fast as he came. Angels unaware? Maybe. You see, when you pray... God will answer. What do you need to pray for today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask you to help us. Here we are in need of prayer. Here we are in recognition of, of what we are as people. We thank you for this country and the freedom that we have. We, we look at other countries and we recognize we have it so so good. And yet, we take for granted what you gave us. And unfortunately, sometimes we take you for granted as well, just like the nation Israel. Help us to never depend on our freedom as Americans, but our freedom in you through Jesus Christ. May we pray and may we be the ones who affect a change in this nation because of our relationship with you and how we pray. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. We come to an invitation time. Many times an invitation may not even relate to what's happened in the scripture today. It may be something you've been considering. Maybe you want to kneel and pray and pray for someone or pray for something or or pray for this country. Certainly it needs it. Maybe you would come and make some other decision you've been waiting on. This is the day to do that. This is your time. As we stand and sing, what number? Page 423. 423. As we stand together, you come. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you a little later. Um, we have one thing we need to say for the committee. Our finance committee will be working on budgets Thursday. If you have not turned in a budget, and have to a line. We will assume that you do not need funding for this. So please turn in budgets by Wednesday. You. Okay, you heard that. We need all your budget stuff in by Wednesday so we can do the budget work. One last parting joke. Remember that red, white, and blue represents freedom until you see the lights in your rearview mirror. (laughs) Brian, would you lead us in prayer, please?